Welcome to EU Code Week podcasts. We bring coding, computational thinking, robotics, and innovation closer to you, your community, and your school. Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are your hosts, Eugenia Casariego and Ariana Vlasic. We are part of the EU Code Week team that wants to support the adaptation of education in Europe to face the digital challenges of the future. The EU Code Week community has done incredible things for education in Europe and over the last nine years has reached millions of children and also students and young people in general in order to bring them closer the opportunity to learn coding, robotics or just tinkering with hardware, just in, in general to bring technology closer to these young minds. And today we are going to speak with two of the people who founded EU Code Week back in 2013. Welcome, Alia Isakovic and Jane Elveli. Could you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a bit about yourself, please? Uh, thank you for inviting me. It's lovely to be here. It's been a while since I've been involved with Codebeek. Uh, so a little bit about me. My name is Alia Isakovic. Uh, I come from Ljubljana, Slovenia. I used to work as a product manager and UX specialist at various tech startups. I'm also an advocate for greater diversity in the tech industry and currently developing responsible tech work, which is a framework for more responsible development of digital projects. And yeah, as already mentioned, I've kind of accidentally founded EU Code Week when I was uh, one of the nearly crisis young advisors for the digital agenda. And hi, everyone. My name is Jane. I uh, met Alia the first time when we were part of the young advisors and started the Code Week work. Uh, today, I'm working for company Meta, which used to be called Facebook. More people know it as that. Um, I've been working on on... I'm working on policy issues here and also working on responsible tech development, similar to Alia. Uh, but I've been following uh, a little bit Code Week over years and, and also had a strong interest for how we get more young people interested in promoting uh, uh, tech in our society and trying to reap the benefits of that more broadly. Interesting backgrounds. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, our first question would be uh, about uh, uh, Code Week 2013. Why did you and the other young advisors launch Code Week? Uh, what was your aim back then? So the young advisors group was quite a diverse pe- group of people from all over Euro- Europe. Some younger, some less younger, uh, but we are having a lot of diff- very interesting conversations about technology coding, uh, the education in uh, schools all over Europe. And basically, I was listening to all different stories from teachers, from people who work as entrepreneurs. And uh, one thing that kind of was the key takeaway for me is that there are so many wonderful grassroots initiatives in Europe related to coding. And as I was listening to all these stories, I thought, wouldn't it be great to have something to have one week a year to really promote all these diverse efforts that are happening all over Europe and to inspire more people to do something in their local communities to, to get curious about technology, coding, uh, what it is and, and just try to do something. And- just to briefly add to that. And if I remember correctly, Alia, already back then, weren't you part of, of doing initiatives with Rails Girls already then, right? 
Yeah, correct. I was um, organizing workshops, free programming workshops for for women in uh, Slovenia, which is actually how I got nominated as a young advisor in, in the first place. And I want to build on to that. One of the uh, parts that was also in the background for me, I already had a young daughter back then. So I started out in Sweden. I knew these initiatives were going on. People like Alia were doing a great job and all the others she mentioned. Uh, but when I started to look at where can I find these initiatives to sort of take my daughter and and get her to code, it was it was difficult to find where they were and and you know you, they were a little bit scattered and random and i lived up north in sweden and it was really uh nothing really existing back then up north so so that's also what for me personally contributed to, to starting to see can we map this out and figure a little bit more to make people more aware where where they're available and making sure more people know about it so when you sit there if it's a parents with your kids or uh, other situations you might have uh, you know where to go to be able to to find these uh, resources and initiatives uh, that you can sort of get onto. So you brought your extensive experiences to this in- initiative to inspire uh, teachers and also students to start coding. Can you tell us a bit about how you did it? Uh, do you perhaps have any stories or anecdotes that you can share with our listeners? Um, and uh, perhaps if I may ask, uh, is there anything you would do differently now when you look back at uh, this event? Yeah, I mean, the, the first cold week was was really rushed, was really, we didn't really have a big overarching plan yet. Uh, I think it was uh, Jordan Hedge from the UK who who bought the domain very quickly after like we were discussing in Brussels uh, and brainstorming the idea and we came up with the name and we said, okay, we need the domain. Uh, the first website also coded very quickly by me, I think back then. And at some point I remember I, w- I wasn't sure even if we would launch this thing because I think we had one month to prepare uh, everything was very scrappy, but uh, luckily with the support of, of my fellow young advisors, Janne, and um, people like Julie Hini, a teacher from Ireland, uh, Mercedes Diaz, uh, an IT consultant from, from Belgium. Um, we kind of pulled, pulled it through together and said, okay, we have to try this even if it fails. It doesn't matter. Let's see what happens. And what ended up happening is that there was quite a response and it's, and it just kept growing and growing for year from year. So, uh, it, it was pretty amazing. And, and I think that that's over the years. I mean, one of the fantastic things here is that it was sort of a grassroots trying to tap into these voluntary initiatives and get people committed and engaged, uh, and, and have it sort of bottom up built. I, I do think looking back over the years, uh, one of the challenges, I don't have an answer to how this would have been done differently. One of the challenges was how do we keep it grassroots and bottom up and still get some sort of support from, from top? Obviously, we came from a, from a role together, at least in the young advisor, where we we're supposed to advise uh, a European commissioner, which is very much more top, top down, maybe approach and how to sort of find some sort of structure in this over the years. I think that's been something that's been discussed and debated. How can we sort of grow it and still keep this, um, get the commitment from from everyone while we still add some resources 
into it without trying to control it being becoming too central. That that still, I think, is a little bit of a challenge to start a voluntary grassroots initiative and still try to add resources at some level uh, to to have it grow and support these uh, voluntary. Not not really sure it's a answer to how would you do it differently, but but that's still something to watch even from the beginning and think a little bit about maybe. I completely agree with Jana, and this is really important. So I think the beginning we we did it like with the resources we had. Uh, I don't think we could have done it differently, uh, but maybe like an advice for for similar initiatives if to think about sustainability and how you can support uh, such a model over the years as it as it grows because we really weren't thinking about that at all. Uh, and it, it was, it's actually such an interesting mix of grassroots initiatives and with the support of Euro Com- European Commission, uh, in terms of like communication activities and all that. Uh, and it's, uh, a bit of uncharted territory, I think. <laughs> so, uh, the question how to, how to make it sustainable in the long run is, uh, is an interesting one. That's a big question that we would all want to know the answer to, isn't it? It's a bit of trial by trying by doing. But it's indeed, I would agree that it's very important to keep at uh, the core of Kodwik this grassroots element, you know, and this is something that we um, always make a point of, of trying to keep. Um, have you kept track of, uh, well, you, you mentioned a bit before, but have you kept track of Kodwik over the years and how has also Kodwik influenced or creating or launching Kodwik influenced your career afterwards? Because you both mentioned that you're still working on the field of technology well i've always kind of been involved in uh, education in in some way or another even when that wasn't my my primary job and uh, when i started and i was running code week i was very lucky to have a very understanding boss uh, alesh petic who was also the digital champion of slovenia who understood why we were doing these things and and was kind of forgiving uh, around the months of october and november when there was more work to be done um, so yeah, I mean, education is always a passion. Um, I like haven't made it the career yet, but, uh, Cold Week was a really great experience and just seeing what's possible when you have a diverse group of people in the same room and like just discussing different experiences and throwing out different ideas. And, um, I think that was for me, my, my key takeaway, um, just learning how to collaborate, collaborate and uh, how we can build something that kind of takes a li- life of its own, uh, in a sense. As I mentioned before, I actually started working for the European Commission after this. So maybe this really contributed and was part of my, my development as well. However, I, I've not uh, ever been professionally really involved in, in education or education policy, but working really close to it and specifically trying to figure out how we address the, a little bit of the situation I think is true even today. Uh, first of all, that there's there there's a lack of professional skills in, in the digital domain, so we would need more people uh, pursuing a, a career on, on trying to find ways into computer science and, and do a career in that field because there, there's quite a lot of growth in terms of jobs and stuff, and and I still think we we even today we hope, hopefully contributed with it with Code Week, but but that's still a ongoing challenge. I think Code Week's even 
as important as ever. Yeah, I mean, and I think the tech industry has also changed since we we started Europe Code Week. Uh, I think back when we started, uh, a contributing factor to the success of Code Week was probably that there was a lot of discussion about how we get more people in uh, STEM careers, uh, in in IT jobs, and and the lack of jobs. Uh, Now, the landscape is even more complicated, I think, because we are still talking about diversity. We are now talking about responsibility of big tech companies because we see these products that are used by millions of people around the world are being used in ways that their creators didn't anticipate. And now we have big questions. How do we deal with that? Indeed. And I wanted to ask you as well about these challenges, because of course, since Code Week was launched eight, ten years ago to now, then there's new challenges that appear and technology has evolved a lot as well. The way we use and we relate to technology has changed. So how do you think Code Week should evolve to match these new challenges? And how or where would you like to see Code Week in, in five years? Yeah, definitely. Code Week is still very much needed because coding still isn't taught in schools. Uh, a lot of adults, as we see, are not uh, very confident and are not using technology in the best ways, cannot really assess uh, information online well, as we're seeing. So it, it's a very important initiative. Personally, I would add even more content and focus around data, media literacy, and uh, sustainable web development, especially because this is something that is still um, kind of an emerging discussion. And there's a lot of interest about uh, sustainable web development um, in some countries, but in other countries, it's not a conversation yet. Can you clarify uh, sustainable web development? I'm not sure I'm familiar with the term or just for our listeners. Every time we open a website, even now that we're recording this podcast, we are uh, essentially using energy. And it's, you know, the data servers are not all run on renewable sources yet. Uh, there's commitments from big companies that are moving to- towards carbon neutrality and using uh, renewable sources for their data sensors um uh, centers but it's it's not everywhere yet and even as developers as coders it's great that we're having fun learning to code but we also should learn how to code in a way that is efficient and doesn't contribute uh to to uh, waste basically digital waste and create more increase our carbon footprint basically it's very interesting thank you for the clarification it's also very very clear yeah thank you yeah and i think also that that's a good point that i think already back in 2013, maybe that was a dialogue, but we focused probably a lot on coding, yes, and programming uh, back then. And I think the discussion around skills and competences are uh, along the lines of this, and it's broadening so much. I mean, we see how maybe it's not just about pursuing a career and become an actual programmer. It's also about getting an understanding in a number of different areas for how technology works and how where it's important, whether it is if you work on responsibility and sustainability and and, and get people on that end to to understand technology or if it's the other way, way around to get the people in technology understand sustainability. But this sort of um, multi-competence need that I think is has increased a lot since, since uh, Code Week started and the realization today that uh, whether it's uh, things like sustainability or or in other areas, of course, uh, the importance of, of have 
some sort of understanding for for the technology's impact on other things. We'd like now to think about the future of the initiative and of coding. You know, we're talking right now about the broader context about about Europe. And and so what do you think, what further changes do you think are needed in Europe to get more people to understand what coding is and how is this relevant in the job market and perhaps in society at large? Yeah, it's a tricky challenge, uh, especially when it comes to educating adults. Um, A lot of adults come in in contact with these technologies, for example, at work, and they might not even understand them fully. Uh, Then we have mobile devices and and social media networks that uh, basically are always with us these days. And uh, it's a big question how, how to do this. I think just educating the public with uh, documentaries, like there are a couple of really wonderful documentaries on algorithmic bias on Netflix recently. Uh, there's code bias, and I think that there's been another one that's really interesting. So um, I think even like getting these topics in the media, in the news, and, and having these discussions uh, is an important part of the process. Yeah, I think you mentioned one thing that I've always found extra challenging around this. I, I think that I, many of the things we want to achieve, and, and this is probably true not just for this area, but many think that if we can get to the educational system, we're going to catch, first of all, everyone, which is a good thing, obviously, from a diversity inclusion perspective, that we can actually reach everyone through the formal education system. But However, I think it's also important here. And I have seen, I, I can't speak for too many countries, but I have seen for Sweden, for example, I'm, I'm Swedish and based here now, um, I've seen how they revised their their national curricula to uh, include aspects of this. I, I haven't followed and I don't have really expertise and opinions on how you do that best, but at least they've made efforts to try to find ways to get it incorporated. Uh, however, um, that's obviously not going to reach the older generations, and and I, I do see a lot of uh, need for for skills and experience, whether it's for pro- professional purposes or just your everyday understanding of of how to sort of navigate the society that's increasingly digital. Uh, I do see a need to reach adult um, uh, people as well, and then then we do come back to this. Uh, um, long-standing issue of lifelong learning and the importance of, of sort of reforming and getting away from this idea that you learn stuff when you're young and then you're sort of going to apply those learnings uh, throughout the rest of your life and just recognizing that that in a fast-paced, changing environment, you're going to have to find ways of constantly learning and developing. So are there any future developments in coding and related technologies that you are excited uh, for and think that it would be important to highlight during Code Week? Well, there's a really interesting trend of low-code and no-code tools that are emerging and that are making it easier for um, maybe adults, as we were discussing, to, to kind of get a taste of, of this sort of thinking and do more with technology without having to learn a completely new language. So uh, that's a certainly an exciting new trend. And then we have, of course, artificial intelligence tools. Um, becoming and maybe not a replacement for programming, but a little helper that is going to make developers more maybe efficient 
um, help them focus on on the really tricky engineering challenges instead of like doing a lot of uh, tedious manual programming work, uh, which is a lot of current programming jobs uh, still. Um, but uh, yeah, and I and I hope we'll see more tools that also. Uh, make sure that the the this all these tools, even the local no code tools that we we put out there, are designed in an ethical way that uh, make sure even our artificial uh, intelligence systems are built on datasets where we question where the data is coming from, whether it was collected in an ethical way, and all sorts of things. So. It certainly seems like we want to have more technology in our life. Uh, I also hope uh, we'll add more responsibility to the way we use and especially to the way we develop uh, all these tools. I want to add also to some of the developments we're highly focused at and something I'm really intrigued by is how um, digital technology... I've, I've always had this problem when people talk about on and offline because sometimes there's this little notion that online is not real and offline is real. Um, and I, I think that one development we're seeing now, partly with artificial intelligence, but also with uh, virtual reality and augmented reality tools, is going to bring digital and physical more uh, closer to each other and overlapping. And I think our distinctions between virtual or, or between di digital and physical is going away. So one important development I think we're going to see for, for a, quite a few years coming up is um, uh, efforts towards that direction. I, I can't even say whether the skills and interests you need uh, if you're going to develop anything for virtual or augmented reality are very different from the current skills and need you have for di the digital tools we're building today. But that's at least an area and a space along with AI certainly being in that bucket as well, uh, where I do think we, we're going to make need to make sure that we're um, on top of producing great talent and interested people. Indeed. So raising awareness is very important. And that's why we want to reach out to teachers uh, all over Europe and beyond as well, uh, so that they understand that uh, technology is here. And uh, we don't know, as Juliana mentioned, we don't know how it is going to be developed in the future, but we need to be ready and uh, understand what it can offer. So for this reason, we have also uh, developed um, a massive online course on artificial intelligence to introduce teachers to uh, the ethics of AI and all the channel challenges that it brings, uh, as well as benefits, of course, and how it can be used to enhance teaching and learning. And so summing up a bit, just to, to wrap up a bit our conversation. And so today we talk with um, some of the young advisors who originally launched Code Week back in 2013. We talk about not only how and why it originated, but also how and why or where should it be in the future. And as well, how it has impacted and influenced these uh, young advisors' careers. So Ariana, what are your main takeaways from this conversation? What is your uh, take-home messages that you would say? So for me, uh, what uh, I think is very important is that uh, 
uh, our teachers and students understand that it's okay to fail, that they need to be brave and give it a try and see, uh, because we've seen how this initiative that you started, uh, how it developed and how, how many children and teachers it has reached so far. Yeah, and th- that's a really import- important point you make. And I would like to thank all the teachers that have been involved in EU Code Week so far because they're doing an amazing work and even in in uh, contexts where it's hard to, to bring new curriculum and new content uh, in schools and they're incredibly brave for trying new things and encouraging their kids to learn new things. And I think ever since Code Week started, the teachers have been at the for- forefront and really driving Code Week forward and, and making it sp- sp- spreading awareness about uh, this important topic. We are indeed very thankful to, to our community and very thankful for their work, their time and, and their efforts. And, and, and we're also very thankful to you both for joining us today. I don't know if Janne, if you would like to make any final comments for our listeners, any final message. Yeah, I think Alia just put it fantastically on, on, on sort of the efforts of teachers and uh, educators and, and the hard work and the challenging times. So for, from so many aspects for them right now, it's fantastic work. I want to briefly touch, I mentioned how I, in the beginning of Code Week, uh, was out trying to find coding classes for my daughter. It was quite young back then, and it's a while ago, but I never really succeeded to inspire her to get into a tech um, and computer science career. However, she's now uh, in 12th grade and finalizing her end of semester work. And she is, uh, this morning we had the discussion and she's one of right about the potential biases and discrimination that can be fought and, or uh, exacerbated by artificial intelligence. So even if you don't get people to actually become your sciences, obviously, you can still uh, find many aspects that are relevant for development of tech uh, in other fields. Absolutely. There's always going to be a point of interest and a way to engage our students and young people indeed. So thank you very much, Alia Jane, for joining us uh, today in this episode. It's been truly wonderful to talk to you, to exchange ideas. So, So thank you very much. Thanks for inviting us. It's been really great to chat about this. And we hope, listeners, that you have liked the episode and that you have uh, been inspired to dive deeper into the exciting world of coding. Don't forget that our website, codeweek.eu, we have prepared many interesting tutorials for you, many interesting materials, some of which Ariana has mentioned, and have a look at the website. See you next time for a new episode of our Code Week podcast with some interesting facts on coding and digital technologies in education. Goodbye. Goodbye.